Our first reading is from the prophet Jeremiah, 20, chapter 29. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Johnny Cursina, the lead pastor here at Christ Church Vienna. Um, if you're visiting, we're just ending a sermon series, but next week we start, or actually this week upcoming, we start on a sermon series for Lent in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you'd like to read along during Lent, start in Matthew 1. At Ash Wednesday service, we'll be looking at Matthew 4, specifically looking at the encounters Jesus has with different persons. And in Matthew 4, for Ash Wednesday, we're looking at Jesus' encounter with Satan in the wilderness. But today we finish our sermon series on the vision and values of Christ Church Vienna. So maybe you picked up one of these along the way. It lists out the vision and values of our church. And today we get to the final of the vision and values, which is to be for Vienna. So 15 years ago, no, more than 15 years ago, a lot of years ago, I left this high school. I actually graduated from this very high school. Um, I grew up in the town of Vienna. My mom was from the town of Vienna, also went to this high school. And um, about age 16, 17, 18, when I was finishing high school, do you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to come nowhere near the town of Vienna when I got older. I wanted to go as far away as possible. I went to college, lived other places, even lived in England for a little bit. And yet, what I found was, as I had been called into ministry even in high school, that rather than being sent somewhere far away, I could not get out of my head the idea of being the pastor of a church in the town that I grew up in, the one that I wanted to get as far away from as possible. And so that was in my head, this seed of, a, of the idea of planting a church in the town in which I grew up. And it's birthed this vision and values with a number of you who were a part of that from the very beginning that talked about being gospel-driven, externally focused, extended family, Anglican mission for Vienna. And we talk about that, that phrase, for Vienna. We, we mean it very specifically to use the word for, not just in. 
So we are not just users of the places we occupy, like we are in a high school right now, but we're not just renting, using, exploiting, taking advantage of. We want to be advocates for the places God has put us or called us. So we want to seek God's purposes for this place or any place that you or I occupy in our daily life and as we do together, through our presence, through our relationships, through our vocations, through our gifting. We are called to be involved in the lives of people all around us, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our office, where you shop, where you eat, where you get gas. To be for something, as we talk about it here, means to seek the good of the place where we have been called. That's exactly what God does to the Israelites, to the people of Israel in Jeremiah 29, when they are being taken into exile into the city of Babylon, and God calls them to live for the welfare of that city. We read in Jeremiah 29, verse 1, that Claire just read for us, this opening statement that's in the middle of the book of Jeremiah. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had taken into exile from to Jerusalem to Babylon. So to get a little bit of the context of this passage that we're going to dig into this morning, the, the context is this. At that time, it's about 600 years before the birth of Jesus, the great superpower of the region prior to Rome, prior to some of these others, was the kingdom of Babylon, in, set up in the city of Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar as the, one of their greatest kings ever. And he was a superpower. They had a superpower that conquered every region around them. They would use siege warfare, which they had been doing in Jerusalem for a number of years where they had surrounded Jerusalem and they were starving out the people, killing anybody. And once they conquered a nation or a city, they would take its leading people, its wealthy, its landowners, its educated, any of the priests, any of the government officials, and would take them to Babylon. They would exile them to their home city of Babylon to take them out of the place where they lived. It was a way that they subdued other nations without slaughtering every single person because they wanted to, they wanted to end these nations in terms of their culture, their religion. And so they would bring them into their city and cause them to be assimilated, absorbed into their city. They were Babylonizing them making them no longer able to be Israelites or people of God. And we see this in the book of Daniel, which takes place in the exile in Babylon. Daniel, the prophet, is renamed. He has another name, a, a pagan name. So do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three young men in there. And each of them are trained and raised in all the education of Babylon. And then they're forced, even at times to worship the gods of Baal or bow down to Nebuchadnezzar or not pray to Yahweh, their God, at force of execution. They're being forced into assimilation. And so, you know, for us, I want us to just for a moment think about the, the feeling of that. We talk about here they were exiled, Daniel was exiled. But this would be a very horrible thing if you were a person who went through this. If you're a teenager in Jerusalem, you would basically see this. Every one of your family members slaughtered maybe right in front of you. Everyone you know killed and you taken in chains to a country far away where you don't speak the language and no, you have no idea what's going to happen to you. 
You were being trafficked, enslaved, imprisoned. So what do you do? You know, we in America today, if you've been a Christian for a number of years, we talk about being exiles in our own country. It's sort of a common phrasing. And, and some of that has to do with rapid cultural transformation. Maybe you haven't been taken out of America to somewhere else, but you've lived here long enough and you feel like you're in a land that is no longer the land you remember from 20 years ago or 40 years ago. We are incredibly politicized. We're a polarized country against each other. We're all isolated. It feels increasingly secular or hostile to Christianity. So there's this sense that some people have of like, we're, we're in exile here. And, and the question is, how, how does that feel? Most likely there's fear, anxiety about the future, anger at the people that we think are causing the trouble. Is anybody hopeful about the future? It doesn't seem like it anymore. So what should we do if we live in a place that feels like exile? You know, there's a couple of responses that you can do. One Israel already tried. They tried fighting, attacking, but they lost. So now they're down to two choices. They can either avoid Babylon or assimilate into Babylonian culture. So if you were taken into exile, basically the idea was you were, you were put into another country and you had to live there and become Babylonian, learn the language, learn the culture. But, but there was a tendency to want to escape and avoid that, just to hunker down, just to, to kind of like separate yourself, protect your way of life. And that's true today. Many people feel like I just want to hide from the culture around me. I want to hunker down and wait it out. The other was to assimilate, just to make your life easier, right? Just do what the Babylonians want you to do. If they want you to worship that God, do that. Learn their language. Do whatever they tell you to do. Adopt Babylonian culture. You might need to compromise, but you're going to fit in and live. Do you avoid? Do you assimilate? And all the responses that we tend to have, naturally, our emotional responses are fear-based. We respond out of fear and self-protection. And it tells me that, that they needed, we need, and God gives them a theology of place. A theology of place is a vision of how to live as God's people in a place that was not their home. In verses 5 and 6, God gives them exactly what he wants them to do as they live in exile in Babylon, this pagan, godless, conquering city, in the city of their enemy. God says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. What Jeremiah tells them to do as they go into Babylon is the opposite of what every other prophet in Israel was telling them to do. Every other prophet was telling the Israelites who go into exile, just hunker down, avoid engaging the Babylonians. It's just going to be a few months, maybe a year. We are Israel. We are God's favorite. He is going to bring us back to Israel within the year, probably. So don't, don't get, you know, live in tents if you have to. Don't learn their language. You're just passing through. But God says something very different. He tells them to build houses, plant vineyards, get married, have children who grew up to get married and have children. 
on one level, this is just very mundane. Like, here's your mission. Here's your mission. Live in a house, eat food, have family. Okay. That's how you're going to be my people in this place. But he's also calling them to be involved and engaged in the life of the people around them. To do these things is to be a community member, to be engaged in the life of the city itself, to enter the places of commerce, to be in relationship with your Babylonian neighbors. And, and it's not to live as if you're only here temporarily. You don't know how long you're gonna be in Babylon, God does, but he's saying do things that take years, decades, Building a house, a vineyard meant, meant you planted something, but it was not for many years before you got grapes and many years after that before you could turn it into wine. Have children who grow up to get married to have children. That takes a few years. God is saying, look, Babylon is not your permanent home, but it is your present home, and I want you to make it your home. On top of that, what God is calling Israel to do is a reminder, it's an echo of something that if you're one of the Bible nerds who kind of studies the Bible, these things, some of you are, you know that when God says, I want you to build houses and plant vineyards and to get married and have children, it actually sounds a lot like Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 1 and 2, we get what theologians call the cultural mandate. It's really just one or two verses, but I'm giving us a couple more of them because it all fits into what God is calling Israel to do in exile in Babylon. It says in Genesis 1 that he created us in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And then he tells them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all creation. In Genesis 2.15, God places the man, Adam, in the garden to work it and keep it, to cultivate the garden. And then a few verses later, Adam and Eve come together as husband and wife, leaving. It says, you will leave your family of origin, come together to form a new family that births new creations. That cultural mandate in Genesis 1 talks about taking the order and it, taking the chaos of the land outside, it, it's taking things that are disordered and bringing order to them, as God does when you work and keep and tend a garden. He's calling, calling them to carry on the work that he did of bringing order and beauty and fruitfulness all around you. To be co-creators who fill the earth with more image bearers of God. That idea of the cultural mandate is that you and I are called as humans, regardless of whether you believe in God or not, that we are created and called to be image bearers of God that use all of our giftings to create culture, to take chaos and make order, to take something that is a wasteland and make it fruitful, to take random bits of things and turn it into something beautiful, to bring together people that make language and build cities, and live in them, and take a seed, and plant it, and tend it, and it creates grapes that you then know how to turn into a drink. God is calling Israel to live in that land of exile as if they were in Eden still. What God is trying to get at is that the place where you are matters. Place matters. 
You know, God creates, we have to remember this, God creates physical places, physical place, the earth, right? God creates physical place and physical creatures that are made in his image called to dwell in the place and places that he has made. Redemptive history, meaning the story of what God is doing in the Bible and in creation to bring about his salvation, is always local. Notice this, if you read through the Bible, what you will find is that God goes into a particular place. Uh, For instance, in Genesis 12, he goes to a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, which is the land of the Babylonians, and calls a particular man, Abram, to go to another place, the land of promise. God goes into Egypt to call his people out into the land of promise. David sets up the capital of Israel in Jerusalem, a particular place where eventually his son Solomon builds a temple where God dwells in a particular place. And of course, on Christmas, when God's ultimate salvation was brought, he did it by starting in a place, Bethlehem, a manger, feeding trough in Bethlehem, a particular place. God doesn't just, in the New Testament, come along and say, okay, this world is messed up. Boom! Everything's better now. That was awesome, right? Instead, what he does is he enters a particular place in the person of Jesus. The translation that we normally read says, and the word in Genesis or John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson's The Message has some great colloquialism here when he says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. At Christmas, the God of the universe who created the universe moved into the neighborhood. Place, local places, is where we fulfill the cultural mandate to build, to create order, to be more fruitful, to beautify. Place is where relationships are possible. You need proximity for friendships and to make families. It's very hard to make families without proximity. Place is where the kingdom of God spreads through people because it's always in particular places through his people. Place matters. But we, naturally, as modern Americans, have trouble with place mattering because we are transient. We move easily. We all tend to value career or money over people and place. You know, in the ancient world, they valued place. And think about this. Um, You can read about the histories of punishment for crimes, one of which could be a choice given to somebody of either we're going to execute you or exile you, banish you from the land. And very often people would choose death over exile. Think about that. To them, it was basically saying, I would rather be dead physically than exiled from the community that I know, from my place, because that's where my psychological, social, emotional, spiritual My whole being, my identity is bound up in this place to banish me from this. I better, I might as well be dead. We choose banishment from our families by choice. We move away for college, for the next career, for the next career. They would have chosen death. God calls Israel 
to live in this season of exile in Babylon as if it is their permanent home, to really embed themselves and not think of it as a transient place. Place matters, but we're not just transient, we're also consumerist, right? That's our tendency. And so we think of places that we occupy more like we do a restaurant than your own kitchen and house. So what's the difference between a restaurant and my own kitchen where, where I'll cook, right? In a restaurant, I get my wants my way or I can make a stink about it, right? B, K, have it. Mm -hmm. Or if you're a little older, you deserve a... That's all you old people, good work. <laughs> a restaurant is where you have it your way. You deserve a break. But my kitchen... I have to go do the shopping. I have to think about it in advance. I've got to create and bring order. And then there's something that I maybe enjoy and I'm, I'm gonna like, it's also gonna fill me, but then I have to clean up afterwards. Instead of a deserving type mentality, instead of a user type mentality, I actually think about it with responsibility. I have a responsibility here. So do we think about the places we occupy as something that owes me something, I deserve something, I want it my way, or I'm, I have a responsibility here. We tend to be me-focused, self-focused people. And so we, we say, does this neighborhood, does this school, does this church, does this town, does it meet my needs? As opposed to think about being caretakers, responsible for the places we've been called to. God calls Israel to serve and benefit Babylon, not just use it, not exploit it, to serve and benefit. We are called to think about place mattering, but we are transient, we're consumerist, and we also, as Christians especially, we can spiritualize places, okay? So when I say that, it's the, the difference between what we think of as sacred and secular, and we've talked about in our church not breaking down that wall between sacred and secular, because it's this sense of like, where do you experience God? Where, where is God really present? Where, if you want to get close to God, where do you need to go? So ready, here's two photos. Let's decide which place is the place you should go to experience God and be close to God. So the natural tendency is to feel like the place to be close to God is in the wilderness, right? In the, in the mountains, the Shenandoah, beautiful fall mountains, and yet, the second one is a picture of culture, of which one has more image bearers of God in it? Which one has been taken from chaos and brought to order or from nothing into something? The story of the Bible begins in a garden, but it ends in a city. Humanity is called into what God is doing in this world to be co-caretakers, creators, builders. God dwells in places, right? In the Garden of Eden, he dwelt with humanity, walked with them. Then later on after the fall, he dwells in Jerusalem in the temple. And of course at Christmas, he dwells in the person of Jesus but after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls on God's people. And now where does God dwell? In each person. And collectively, as his church, we are the presence of God wherever we are. Where can you experience God? Where is God 
most fully present in the places where his people dwell. I mean, you can find him anywhere. But God calls Israel to see even Babylon as a place he is present because he wants to be present through them in that place. And then he calls Israel to a step more. He's like, this is, it's not just about you guys living normal, happy, easy lives. He, he says this other thing that's, I don't think they would have liked very much. Verse seven, but seek the welfare of the city where I have called you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. That word welfare is translated um, in, I think the NIV, it's um, peace and prosperity. But it's the word shalom, okay? So shalom is a Hebrew word. Most of you have heard the word shalom. We often translate it as just peace. But it has such a massive lexical range that it's hard to put it into words. To understand it, you actually need to read every verse of the Bible that it includes it. Just in the book of Jeremiah, it's, it's referenced more than 30 times, and it includes this lexical range just in Jeremiah. It can mean health and healing. It can mean happiness, safety and security, prosperity, abundance, or wholeness completion. It's to be fully satisfied or welfare. In the Old Testament, it always is tied to God's presence. It's God's creative, redemptive, restorative presence. It's where his rule and reign and blessing come to bear. It's the way life was in Eden. It was full of shalom, right, before the fall. I mean, what did Adam and Eve lack? Did they lack anything in the garden before the fall? Of course not. And they were in shalom or harmony or wholeness or completion with everything. They were in harmony with God at one with God, they were in harmony with creation. They were not, you know, worried about being attacked, about death. They were physically, personally in harmony. They were in harmony relationally. They had shalom in every way possible. That's the full encompassing of potentially what shalom includes. And God says to Israel, I want you to seek the shalom, the welfare of Babylon, your enemy, We're not going to look at it right now, but go read Psalm 137, 137 later on to understand the emotional response that Israel had to being taken into exile in Babylon. They were not excited about Babylon. They wanted bad stuff to happen to them. But God says, I do not want you to exploit or use Babylon while you're there. Nor are you to go around defining what, what good is. God doesn't say, seek whatever good you think is good in your opinion. Like, hey, I want you to think about what's good, and that's what I want you to work for in the community. We have a way of thinking about what we think is best for our town, for our country, for our school, for our church, for our neighborhood, right? We've, this is what I think is good. This is what needs to happen. And God is calling Israel to submit themselves to him and his definition of good. That's why the word shalom is used. So you need to go back and dig deep into what God, who God is, how he operates in the world. What is he looking to do in my neighborhood, in my kids' school, in my place of work? What would his shalom look like in the products that we're creating, in the relationship and culture that we're developing in this place? whatever place you occupy. 
God is calling them to change the circumstances of Babylon. And in a sense, the way to think about it, if we're keeping this word welfare shalom together, it's think about Eden. What would Babylon have looked like before the fall? Or maybe even better is what will it look like in the new creation? One day Christ will come again and restore all things and wipe away evil and death and sin and darkness and brokenness. But he's not going to flatten and blow up the earth. He's going to renew and restore it. What will Babylon look like in that day? What will any place you occupy look like in that day? God is saying, make the place I have sent you into exile more like I intended it to be before the fall and more like it will one day be in heaven. And he says to them, because your welfare, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. In its shalom, you will find your shalom. Well, why did God have to say that? Basically means, if you want to have shalom in your life, Babylon needs to have shalom. Tim Keller summed it up in the Gospel and Life study that we do as a new members class. They are to seek their own prosperity in such a way that it benefits the city. They are to use their gifts, resources in such a way that helps the whole city. They are not to use the city for their own advancement, but to seek its advancement. Not only that, but in this passage that we had read, and I had Claire read further on, we go on to something that I had memorized as a high school or college kid because it, in the way I read it was talking about me. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13 reads this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, that's shalom, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, he goes on to say. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So these verses are not about me and my personal relationship with God. They're about Israel going into Babylon in exile. And what's really amazing is that it's tying Israel's renewal and transformation and their closeness and experience of God to how they live into bringing shalom to bear on Babylon. Israel's future connection to the Lord their experience of him is going to be tied up in how they bring about shalom in the places in which God has sent them into exile. This is actually really, really profound and powerful to think about. It's this. Um, they have to give up their hatred and bitterness of Babylon. They have to desire in their hearts and actions, the shalom of the people in the city to which they have been taken into exile, to their enemies, their captors. So in other words, in a sense, like I used to think about this as like, okay, if I seek God with all my heart, then blessing's gonna come to me. That's not what it's saying. He's actually, the connection is this, seeking God with all of your heart is seeking the welfare of the pagan city that you live in. That's how you seek God with all your heart. You wanna find me? Go there, seek its welfare, create community, prosperity, shalom in all the places that you occupy. So seeking God and experiencing and finding him involves serving their enemies, making the lives of their enemies more peaceful and fruitful and good, being neighbors and community pillars, 
In other words, you, don't, you can't just go out into the desert by yourself to experience God. You need to go next door to your neighbor and say hello. And that's why when we talk about being for Vienna as a church, it's not just you have to live in Vienna to be for Vienna. Because it's built around that, that word for. What are you for? Are you for the places that God has placed you? Do you have a theology of place for all your places, your school, your street, your workplace, where you shop, where you play? Are you an advocate for God's shalom in those places, for those places? So whether you live in Falls Church or Vienna or Fairfax or Reston or wherever around the area further on, you are called to be present like Jesus was present His mission was proximate. You know, he healed people that were right next to him or near him. He spoke to people that were right near him. So enter the places that God has called you and sent you. Look for, pray for, love. Use your gifts, heart, abilities to change the circumstances, the culture of the office, that school, your neighborhood. Where you live may not be your permanent home, but it is your present home. So it's not where you're going to live forever and eternity. It may not be your permanent home. Some of you are kind of move a lot, but it is your present home and it's where God has placed you. So God wants us in each of the places we occupy to live for God's intentions to be manifested wherever we are. And maybe for some of us to think about living more permanently in a place, whether that's here or somewhere else, but not just thinking about it as stepstones in a career. Stay longer, invest in kingdom impact. You know, what's amazing, um, I kind of glossed over it, but a couple times in the reading, it talks about going to Babylon and exile as a place that God has sent you or carried you to the place I carried you. So yes, evil people brought you to Babylon, but it was God was going to work through this and do it. So being deported to Babylon was not a senseless disaster, but part of God's design for them. And the same is true today. You and I live in America in 2023 and not 1953. You are in Northern Virginia right now. You're not in rural America. But it's not by accident. It's not a senseless disaster. God has you here for such a time as this. And you and I are never fully prepared to live in the times and places in which we live. But God is. And he is with you. And he has called you to here and now. For Christ Church Vienna to be for Vienna means collectively as well, we have a mission and calling to this place to not be consumers or users, but caretakers and advocates for God's shalom in this town. Vienna is a great place to live. I live here, but it's not heaven, okay? And so the question is, what would this place look like if it were? One day there will be no more suffering or sin or pain or sorrow. There is injustice and healing and sin that needs to happen and is breaking down in every place, including Vienna. There are people struggling financially here, people who are new to the country here. 
There are middle school and high school kids struggling with anxiety and identity and depression. Marriages that are breaking down and people who are deeply lonely in this place. Christ Church Vienna is called to be a city on a hill, a counterculture whose values and priorities are of the heavenly city. While we live fully as members of the earthly cities that we live in. And so we're going to do that through presence and permanence. We want to be here a long time in this town, to be agents of shalom collectively, and ultimately not just doing neat, nice things, but pointing people to the only hope we do have, Jesus Christ. We are all exiles. We long for a home that we never quite fully experience in this life. Philippians in the the New Testament talks about us being citizens of heaven. We're actually made for another home. So whether you are an American or not, whether you were born in Vienna or not, we're all exiles. We're all sojourners, travelers, immigrants, dwelling in a land that is not our true home. This place, this life, money, perfect family, perfect career can never fill you. But there's one who can. It's the one who came from heaven on Christmas. He left his eternal home to enter our neighborhood. He was crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem, which was a way of exiling somebody, saying, you're not part of us. And on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cast out of the presence of God the Father, that we who deserve judgment and exile like Israel can be brought near to his eternal home. Let's pray. God, you have called us to this place for such a time as this. Open us up to see the places you have called us to, the houses, the apartments, the neighborhood, places we shop or commute or work, go to school, places we exercise and play, that these are your places And there are people who need to know your shalom. May we individually and collectively be your agents of shalom and well-being in this place until you call us to your true home. Amen. Shine your light and let the whole world see.